All right, so I'm, I'm going to need some help this morning, as I already said, because I um, sound like this, and I'm, <laughs> I'm on borrowed time. <laughs> Vance's cough drop. Um, but So I want to start off just by asking you um, to help me just share the good news this morning. We're preaching the good news like we do every week, and I need you to help me. So I wanted to start by asking you, what's something good that's happened recently? Let's share it with our church family. Tell me something good. Yeah, anything. You had a family Christmas yesterday. That's wonderful. Happiest Christmas. A house full of family for a celebration yesterday. That's great. You did too. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. We went and celebrated. Uh, Matt's grandmother is 89 years old. Um, and we were at her house yesterday with all of her kids and five of her eight grandkids and, you know, four of her great grandkids all got to be together. So that was good. You're having a baby. That is good news. It is good news. We're very excited. Baby girl. Yeah. I'm just going to let that. Do you want to be outlawed? Because <laughs> those were your in-laws. <laughs> How about when we think about the good news of Jesus Christ? We're going to be looking at scripture, talking about announcing this good news. Where have you encountered that good news recently? Where you've experienced it? Anybody? But Mona has, but she can't talk. <laughs> She's recovering. <laughs> yeah. Vance. He was sharing about um, our houseless community that Vance and a group often serves on Saturday mornings, how humbling it is that they ask for prayer and communion and, and a hug, you know, just to feel, I would say, a piece of that connection of human community, of those reminders that we are not alone. Um, that is announcing the good news to folks in our community that are often overlooked or pushed aside or neglected, definitely not touched, right? Absolutely. Announcing the good news. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you, Carol. Thanking God for the gift of prayer and the power of prayer. We had somebody share uh, in our worship meeting before it started, just grateful for this community of how they've been surrounded in a time of uncertainty and just to be a part of this church family that they love um, and to feel that support and prayer during a really difficult few months. Um, that's good news. That's good news. 
Well, that leads us very well into uh, our, our teaching this morning where we're going to be looking at Isaiah 61. We're continuing in this teaching series, a sort of back to the future, kind of little fun take of just a way for Rachel to preach from Isaiah uh, during Advent this year. The lectionary, actually, uh, this three-year uh, schedule through Scripture, I like to maybe turn to that during more traditional seasons like Advent. So looking back to the prophet Isaiah and the promises that were made then to kind of look forward to the future of how we understand them as Christians, these promises to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And to kind of understand it, how is it that the people of God then in Israel heard these promises? What were they wrestling with? How did they experience hope and, and joy and peace in these moments? And how are these still promises offered to us today as the people of God? And so Isaiah 61, I'm going to read, I'm going to kind of uh, chunk it out, as it were. Uh, just, it's only, I think, uh, 12 verses long, but we're just going to read the first four uh, here at the beginning. So this is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Now, I want to resituate ourselves just for a moment in the story because, you know, we're kind of jumping all over the place here. We started week one of our teaching series in Isaiah 64, where the folks had returned after the exile to Jerusalem. And that was when they looked around and they were like, you know, re-entering their home. And they, like, they probably had that re-entry team on the ground of like how to strategize and do this. Uh, but they got there and they're looking around and things aren't going as planned. And second Isaiah, this sort of middle section of the whole book of Isaiah, they're in exile. And there's promises about how it will go when they return. And then they get there in third Isaiah and it's like, it's not going great. There's land disputes, there's squabbles, there's infighting. It's not so easy to go back home. And so they, that's when they say, Lord, if you would just rend the heavens and come down, like we feel far from you and this, things are not going okay. And the promise of God then was that God will act for those who wait. And that gives us hope that God will work and act for those who wait. And then we jumped last week to Isaiah 40, kind of at the beginning of the exile and the promise then was that God will show up like a shepherd. In the messiness of life, God will show up and be with you in these moments of disaster, like at the beginning of an exile. And that gives us a sense of peace. Even in the middle of a storm, even in the middle of a disaster, that the promise of God is that God is with us. That we experience, most obviously, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel. God with us. But the people of God then experienced it in their God who said, I will be like a shepherd and I will carry you and I will be with you. So now we're kind of jumping back to the future, if you will, to Isaiah 61. Kind of going back uh, 
to this returning from the exile. This is kind of in that same group as week number one, where we were in Isaiah 64. And it's the beginning of this new word from the prophet here. Kind of marking a a new section as he begins, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me. This is the prophet saying these things. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring this word to you at this time as we've returned home from the exile. And it's to bring good news. To bring good news. What sort of good news is he talking about here? How is it described according to this passage? Well, it's good news for the poor. This good news will bind up the brokenhearted. This good news will proclaim liberty to the captives and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does anyone know what that phrase means? Anyone? (laughs) You got it. Bible trivia up here. It's a reference to the year of Jubilee. What is that, Rachel? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Are we awake out there? Are we alive? Are we feeling good? Or do you sound like me? It's a reference to the year of Jubilee, which in Scripture, in the law, every seven years, they were supposed to take a Sabbath year and sort of how they farmed the land. But after another, after every 49th year, sort of on the 50th year, it was supposed to be a year of Jubilee. And that is when the land, so here's the reference in Leviticus 25. It's when the land and people rest and when all of those who are in slavery are set free to return to their communities. So land is returned, people are returned, the land rests. It's sort of this economic, cultural, environmental, and communal rest. It's like the the Sabbath of all Sabbaths that's supposed to happen every 50 years, a year of Jubilee. The Jubilee laws are essentially concerned with social relationship, with economic security, with stability, and with the well-being of the community. With the aim, this one scholar sort of remarks, is that it's to to be in good relationship with God and with one another. So you kind of reflect uh, in those moments uh, of, of what God had intended for the community, the sense of freedom and renewal and rest. So salvation in Isaiah 61 is good news. It's healing, it's liberty, it's release, it's comfort. Basically, it's saying salvation in God is going to be like a jubilee year. It's going to be like a celebration. When debts are wiped away, when slaves are freed, when fields are allowed to rest, and when the land is returned. And so announcing it now, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news in all of these ways. It's sort of implying this is not just a future hope and reality, but it's something that they can experience right now. The salvation is going to be like a year of jubilee. And God's salvation is meant to transform the world here and now, not just as a future hope, but in how you operate and live together and relate to one another environmentally, socially, economically, right now. Verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Here, salvation is imagined as a restored city. Remember, they've returned to exile, from the exile, and they're 
temple is in ruin, their homes have been destroyed, the land, everything looks completely different. This imagined renewed city, referred to here later as Zion, right, this renewal. Salvation is imagined then as this restored city. This is a powerful word for these people who are standing amongst the ruins of their former lives, feeling devastated, disillusioned, divided. And the prophet enters that space and says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring you people, you good news. In the middle of your disillusionment, in the middle of your struggle and discouragement, I am bringing you good news. Here's what that good news is. So he continues in verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. Last slide. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. God loves justice, the prophet says. God hates wrong. Referring to this everlasting covenant of God's people who will be restored. In a way that verse 9, their offspring shall be known among all nations. That God's deliverance here is going to be real and tangible and this worldly in a way that it can be seen by others. But I love how in verse 11, it sort of imagines this salvation as also an abundant garden, where in verse 4, we had this picture of a renewed city. It's balanced out by this image in verse 11 as an abundant garden. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. This salvation is the reign of God, realized as it should be. I love how one one scholar said this, God has plotted this restoration with care, wielding not the sword, but a garden spade. I think that's helpful to remember that it's God's work to plant this garden, to restore, to renew. God has plotted this restoration with care, wielding not the sword, but a garden spade. And what's the proper response? Joy. Verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. 
My soul shall exult in my God. It's the prophet coming to a people and saying, you will be remembered. You will be set free. You will be restored. And and peace of this, you can experience now. Your future will be joy, an everlasting joy. And that's the promise of God that is spoken to the people at this juncture. Your future will be joy because of the salvation found in God. And in God alone, not wielding our own wills and plans and swords to take vengeance. But as the prophet says, vengeance is God's. Salvation found in God and in God alone brings joy. Now, you might recognize these words from the first few verses of Isaiah 61, because it's actually uh, the first sermon that Jesus ever preached in the Gospel of Luke. Did you recognize that? Do you remember? So not Matthew. I'm not talking about the Sermon on the Mount here, but in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, after Jesus goes and is tempted in the desert for 40 days, he comes back to his hometown synagogue kind of like standing in your home church here, to deliver his first sermon. What's what I'm using that word. But he pulls from the scroll of Isaiah to read in the synagogue that day. And this is the scroll that he pulls. In Isaiah 4, he says, oh, look, did you see that? I was supposed to highlight those. 4, 16 through 17, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know what happens next? Do you remember? Yeah, they go, wait, isn't this like that carpenter's kid? Isn't this Joseph's kid? Who is this? And then he says more sort of uh, uh, troubling things, and they try to run him out of town. They try to throw him off a cliff. (laughs) Get rid of him. It's hard preaching in your home church, let me tell you. It's it's dangerous. Well, listen, this is revolution. This is different. You know, we might wonder as we look back to the prophet Isaiah and these promises that have been made to the people of God then, and we might wonder, have they been fulfilled? You know, it's so easy for us to look back in light of Christ, and we as followers of Jesus Christ say, well, yes, of course. We have this hope and this peace and this love and this joy in Christ. But obviously some people missed that memo, right? And they're still waiting for those promises to be fulfilled. They're still waiting to be like this renewed garden or this renewed city. And there's a lot that we're still waiting on too, but this one's pretty clear. I mean, Jesus himself said, this scripture has been fulfilled in the reading today. 
I am fulfilling this promise of God to bring good news to the poor. Announcing the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus comes to announce the reign of God, to say the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And this is going to be like jubilee. It's going to be like freedom. It's going to be like healing and power and joy. And that is good news, especially to those who are oppressed, especially to those who are poor, especially to those who are overlooked and cast aside and distraught and devastated. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news. This is an announcement of salvation for all people, not just the people of God and Israel then, but Jesus comes to say, I'm bringing good news of salvation for all people. And it's going to be good news to the poor and to the captive and to the blind and to the oppressed. So in this third Sunday of Advent, when we light a candle of joy, in this season of waiting, as we're saying, we're trying to experience this hope now. We're trying to experience this peace now. How is it that we can experience joy now? And I would say not just in this sort of flippant happiness, that, oh, we just want everybody to be happy, but in this deep assurance of well-being that's good news Right? How can we experience this, this joy that lasts, that gives us a sense of belonging, that gives us a sense of, of peace? How can we experience this joy today? Well, I would say that Jesus, by using this scroll and announcing that this word has been fulfilled, I would say it's an invitation to join Jesus in announcing the good news. That the time for salvation is here. And as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who are trying to do church together, this should inform how we are on mission together. If you think about a time that you have felt the most sense of sort of security and assurance and everlasting joy, it's when you know who you are and what you're here to do. It's when we have purpose and mission and direction. We all desire that kind of purpose in life, that kind of direction and vision. And Jesus says, hey, here it is. Join me. The time is now in announcing the good news of salvation because that's going to bring you joy and a joy that will last. There's a pastor, Scott Bader Sayer, who says this, to be missional is to live as a people of good news, liberation, justice, and comfort in such a way that the world may take notice and be drawn to the ways of God. And he references how in First Isaiah, sort of all nations streaming to a glorified Jerusalem. He goes on, So long as Christians live as divided people, known to the world as those who judge, fight, and exclude, the church will fail to be missional, no matter how much money it gives and how many missionaries it sends. Mission happens when believers turn their attention to those who are named as recipients of the good news, the oppressed, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, the mournful, the faint of spirit. As God comes to announce good news, that will be for all people. 
especially those who have been cast aside and overlooked and haven't been included in much good news. And that last quote, mission is something that defines God's people as existing for the sake of the oppressed, brokenhearted, imprisoned, and mournful. Do you hear that? Existing for the sake of. That's like not just speaking about good news, but embodying it, living it, living in such a way that folks are drawn to that sort of belonging and light of our houseless community that says, will you pray for me? Can I share communion with you? Can I have a hug? (laughs) That's embodying the good news of living for the sake of those who are overlooked and neglected. If we are saying something's good news and it's not good news for the poor, it's not the good news. If it's the good news and it only benefits us, that sit in privilege and plenty, it's not the good news of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, we've discovered this maybe in our years. Those things that we say are good as we sit in our plenty and our privilege, those won't bring us joy. That we may think that they'll bring us a sense of control and security. And we may think that feels like assurance that we're going to be okay, but it's fleeting. It's not salvation found in God. It's only in announcing and embodying his good news. That's good news for all people that we will ever be content. That we will ever have that sense of assurance and everlasting joy. I told Lauren I was going to talk about her this morning. I talked to her yesterday. But Kendall and uh, Janet's daughter, Lauren, uh, shared recently on Facebook about how, you know, she's in law school now. Isn't that amazing? Can you think of a force that is going to advocate for those who are oppressed? I am so excited for the kingdom of God with Lauren Maddox in law school. Like, watch out, y'all. Ooh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. But she shared recently about how she went down to the Wayside Christian Mission uh, to volunteer while she's on winter break. And it was a full circle moment for her because she actually first volunteered there back when she was 15 years old. I think cleaning, she said, like cleaning uh, bathrooms and serving meals. But now she was serving as a law student, giving free legal counsel and advice for, for folks that are there at the Wayside Mission. So she said it was kind of a cool first full circle moment for her because it was the close proximity to vulnerable expressions of of human condition then at 15 that changed her life forever being in proximity to those who are poor and overlooked she said it changed her life forever these are lauren's words this is the type of work that lights up my heart to advocate for well-deserved well-deserving but often ignored people it lights up her heart sounds like joy to me proximity is powerful she goes on and i highly recommend it if you want deeper connections and to grow in wisdom which requires being humbled being humbled her words are beautiful 
She says, if you want to expedite healing or personal growth or to be happy, you have to serve others. Stay close to the people society shuns. Let people be heard and only speak when necessary. It's a good word for a preacher. Let people feel safe in your presence. Let them know you're on their side. Let them have the opportunity to feel empowered. Let hope have room to grow with every conversation. Let love be your protest. It's in those spaces, she says, where miracles happen. It's another example of someone who I see who is embodying the good news. Advocating for people who are well-deserving but often ignored. And I know so many of us have a heartbeat of announcing that good news of Jesus Christ. As we go out to the homeless camps, as we visit the prisons, as we lead RECs, as we collect food for our neighbors to share at the J-Town Area Ministries. We can find joy, friends, even as we wait for so many promises to be fulfilled, even as we wait for Jesus to return, even as we wait for, for sweet little baby Jesus here next week. We can find joy as we join him on mission of proclaiming and embodying the good news. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the ways that you invite us to join you on mission of announcing your reign. And how as we do that, as we live in your peaceable kingdom now, knowing that your kingdom is solid and good and trustworthy, that your salvation is true. God, we thank you that we can experience joy in, in our purpose and mission here. We thank you that we can experience the hope of Jesus Christ and the peace knowing that you will be with us every step of the way. Would you speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, and help us get a glimpse of this joy that we may exhale, that we may be comforted as we continue to worship, but we also may be empowered to leave these doors and embody the good news with our whole lives and in all that we do. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.